0: Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Money and me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Just this morning, I was looking at the Singapore government securities yield curve, it's inverted, and how that's leading to expectations of higher mortgage rates. Those expectations are growing here in Singapore. We discussed this in detail this morning. You can listen to that on the playlist, Your Money, of course, on audio Spotify. But right here on Money and Me, with me, Michelle Martin, I'm going to look at what we all need to know about today's interest rate environment and how we should plan our finances when deciding on how much to take up in our home loans. Given this present environment So it's a bit of backgrounder: The US Federal Reserve has been hiking interest rates for over a month And the clearest area that this can be felt certainly is home loan rates Home loan rates here in Singapore have been hitting new highs Amidst the uh, Fed interest rate hike Now you may be relooking your mortgage loan You want to refinance, bring that interest rate down Or maybe you're choosing your very first mortgage Because you're a new homeowner And you're wondering, it's a tough question isn't it? Fixed rates versus floating rates which one is better than the other? So, regardless of the questions that you're thinking, we thought it would be really interesting to contextualize the decisions um, that anyone thinking through their home loans may find themselves coming across right here in Singapore with Elijah Lee Financial Services Manager Philips Securities. Just a quick look at uh, what's available here DBS 2.75% PA for 2 and 3 year fixed mortgages per annum. You will be 2.98% per annum for a 2 year fixed package and 3.08% per annum for a 3 year fixed package I'm just looking at the fixed packages, why not OCBC 298 Eight percent per annum for a two-year fixed package. Okay, good to look at that. But of course, there's the uh, fluctuating uh, rates that you can look at as well. The three-month compounded Sora plus usually a certain percentage margin. So, given it's a broad environment, lots of choices for you. What are some key decisions and questions you can be asking yourself to make sure that in today's interest rate environment, you make the best choices with your money? Elijah Lee is Financial Services Manager at Philips Securities. Good morning, Elijah. Good morning. All right, Elijah. So, a lot of people worried about the Fed and the interest rate hikes and the knock-on effects and what it means for their mortgages. Let's start with an overview question. What do you think first-time home buyers need to think about when they're budgeting for their first homes?
1: Okay, that's a very good question. And actually, I'll be covering three key points. Mm. I think the first thing advice of homeowners look at will be something called your affordability. And there is a three-three-five rule. If uh, you haven't heard of it before, let me explain it a bit in detail. So the first thing about the Treaty Pyro is that how much of the property price can you put up front? In other words, the down payment, most people tend to actually look at putting the minimum down payment and stretching the maximum they can borrow from the bank. Now, that would have been wise in a low interest rate environment, but even back then, okay, so maybe take myself as an example. Mm. The 3G5 rule says that you should try to at least put up 30% of your property price in your down payment and not just the bare minimum, which can, which is probably like you know 25% if you're buying a retail HDB. So myself, actually, I put up uh, about 35 to 36% of my house purchase price as my down payment simply because I felt like I didn't want to borrow too much and that has actually turned out to be a good move for me. Mm. So that's the first thing on the 335 rules. There's the second tree is that when you are repaying your mortgage, you got to make sure that it shouldn't exceed 30% of your income. So that's where the second tree comes from. And in fact, in Singapore, we got the mortgage servicing rate ratio of 30%, which is set by MAS mm. on HDB flats. So actually, that is actually a good move to ensure that, you know, people do not overcommit on their finances to their flat. Okay. So, but this is, of course, uh, set on um, HDB flats and ECs where the MOP has not expired. For private property, you've got TDSR, the total debt servicing ratio, which the banks will use to gauge your maximum monthly repayments, assuming you have no other loans. That used to be 60%, but as part of property coding measures, which hit in December last year, they brought that down to 55%, which I still think is a bit high. Personally, even if I had a private property, I would still make sure my mortgage repayments don't go past 30% or maybe one-third at most. Mm -hmm. So that is the second three. Yes. And the last digit, the five, Mm -hmm. would be actually, what kind of property should you buy in terms of the valuation? How much is the maximum purchase price you should look at? And we will be looking at five times of your combined annual income as a safe benchmark. So let's say you and your spouse, you make... 200,000 in total, say 100,000 each, you shouldn't be going for a property that costs more than five times of 200,000, and that is actually 1 million. So, you should not buy anything more than a million. So, that's the 335 rules. That is actually just talking about affordability, and that's only the first point. Yeah. So, the second point I like to talk about is the upkeep of a house. Mm -hmm. I am a homeowner myself, so I can tell you that upkeep of a house is not just about a mortgage, there are a lot of things that people need to keep in mind. So the first thing will be, of course, your uh, utility bills, right? So you've got electricity, and we know the electricity uh, rates have been going up in the past few months. So electricity, water, gas, okay? And then you've got telecommunications in the house. Your internet is an ongoing thing. Uh, you've got groceries, right? The house needs to, you know, you need to feed the people. You've got to pay for your property tax, your sc Okay, household upkeep, like cleaning supplies. So all this adds up. I think it's got to be probably a few hundreds a month, depending on how kind of lifestyle you lead, how many people you have in the house, things like that. So, for example, I am working in a hybrid mode, right? So, from home, I'm working and the weather's hot, so I do need to have the air con. Nice. Uh, but imagine if, let's say, both partners, uh, if, let's say, a married couple with no kids, they're not really at home most of the time. Of course, their electricity bills will be a bit lower. So, back when um, me and my wife were working from home for quite a period of time, we do notice our electricity bills are a bit higher but of course now the increased rate for electricity my wife has come back to work so I'm also like running around to meet clients is not as high as before so you do have to look at these things right and the third thing I like the home buyers to think about is, of course, what kind of loan you want to take, which is clearly the topic of today, isn't it? So, do you want to take a HDB loan, a bank loan? You know, you must know that, for example, a HDB loan, you are allowed to refinance to a bank loan, but not the other way around. And, of course, the big important thing is the rates. What kind of uh, loan you want based on the rates that are available in the market today. So, I think these are the three... Very important things that uh, listeners do have to think about.
0: Okay, so key question I hear a lot is, as (laughs) interest rates are expected to rise further, is a fixed-rate home loan the safer option than a floating-rate mortgage loan? Because we know floating-rate mortgage loans are pegged to the SORA or the CYBOR.
1: Correct. Actually, uh, CYBOR has been phased out. So I know the six-month CYBOR should have been discontinued. And uh, in coming months, even the SOR rate will be discontinued. We, we probably only have SORA left for floating rates. In fact, I did a quick check yesterday, and lastly, rates I saw were SORA. So basically, between a fixed and a floating rate, it really comes down, I feel, to what you want. So, for example, a fixed rate. Okay, what, what does it give you? It gives you a lock in, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily a bad thing in the current environment. So, people who do not like uncertainty may at least prefer a fixed rate because you know exactly how much you got pay for say the next two years and you know what happens after two years is you look at it again you know you kind of wait you're kind of kicking the can down the road but at least for the next two years you can factor your mortgage repayments into your budget and that may provide a sense of relief for people who may be already a little tight right so that is the advantage of a fixed rate okay for a floating rate okay the thing is floating rates are now normally packed to Sora. And Sora is actually quite a transparent thing, so you can actually find Sora data the one mile. One month compounded SORA on the MS website. So you are very clear on what kind of rates you are getting. And SORA is a bit of a lag compared to the fixed rate. So SORA rates are actually a bit lower at this point in time than the fixed rate. But if you take a floating rate based on SORA, you must understand that as long as the interest rates are expected to hike, you can expect that your rates will go up. In fact, actually, mine is a floating rate. I've seen the mortgage payments creep up slowly over the past few months. But, you know, with proper planning, it's still within our expectations. Of course, no one wants a higher mortgage but it is what it is yeah so on the flip side with uh, floating rate if the interest rates come down in let's say a few years time mm. and you're on the floating rate you know you adjust accordingly and your rates can actually be uh, lower than uh fixed rate yeah so mm. thing and fix, each have their pros and cons. Yeah. And one thing I did notice that was quite interesting yeah. is that DBS has a kind of hybrid rate package whereby a part of your loan hmm. is under a fixed amount and a part of your loan is under floating. So you get a certainty of lock ins or a certainty of mortgage payments for at least some part of your loan And... The part that's floating, the part that's subject to fluctuation, isn't your total loan amount. So the fluctuation should be smaller and more manageable. So that was actually something I felt was quite interesting that DBS came out with.
0: You mean for a period of time you're only paying fixed rates? or? Uh...
1: Uh, okay, so they calculate your blended rate based on, uh, I think it's half of your loan they, they lock you at a fixed rate and the other half will be on the Compotor SORA plus the spread. So, because half of it is already fixed, you only worry about the other half that's packed to compounded Sora. So, which the fluctuations in, which is,
0: kicks in down the road. It, no, it's actually bit no, more. I understand.
1: It, you start off the mortgage like that. So, uh, yeah, but because it's blended, so right now you're probably getting a rate that's lower than the fixed rate, the pure fixed rate. Right, right.
0: It takes the edge yeah. off that. Um,
1: Correct. I can see. Yeah. That. is that
0: a three-month compounded Sora?
1: Okay, I couldn't remember. I think it's it should either be one or three, but I, mm. the details of your DBS website, okay. I was just breathing quite briefly, but it's something interesting because most banks are either, you've got to take either a six or floating. that isn't a mixture of the two.
0: That is true. Have you yeah. seen... The, you, you touched on this briefly, but I just want to dig into it because I think it's useful for listeners to understand um, SORA and its reaction to the increase in the U.S. Fed funds rate. So you've seen an increase, but it's not been soaring too high in your books.
1: Yes, SORA is actually calculated. and backwards, uh, it's right? Backwards, yes. So it's actually backward looking and half there's a bit of lag. Now, the thing is the Fed meeting is tomorrow. <laughs> and so we will know how much they are going to raise by. There's a lot of speculation. They're 75 basis points. Somewhere I've read also that people are saying that they might raise by a full percentage. So we will only really know how it's like tomorrow. And
0: your answer might change if I ask you yeah, th- in Yeah, correct. If I was
1: talking to you on <laughs> safe Friday, I think my answer will have changed. Uh, uh, so I can't really uh, give you something for me. We have to see what is the outcome tomorrow.
0: But yeah. given your experience as a mortgage owner yourself with a floating rate mortgage and you say you know, mm. it's been doable for you, um, yeah. you're still not taking a stance on fixed versus floating, right? And in terms of which uh, no. is better?
1: I actually am not taking a stand just yet. I feel like I, there might be still fur, further rate hikes coming up. So one sad thing is actually I'm not eligible for refinancing yet. So I still got to wait till end of the year the earlier. So no matter what happens, I'm still stuck. But for people who are actually refinancing now, again, going back to what I mentioned that you know a fixed rate would give you certainty and actually the banks have already priced in future interest rate increase in the fixed rate, you will see that the fixed rate is actually typically higher than the floating rate at this point in time. Mm. So if you are buying the blue and saying that okay I, I'm i alright like to pay more as long as I know that this number isn't gonna change, then you might just want a fixed rate, right? And if you're saying that oh I'll take my chances, I still think that Sora compounded plus the spread is still gonna be lower than fixed rate for mm-hmm. quite some time. Mm-hmm. Then you know I'll just go with the floating. But of course you if you were wrong then floating could easily rise to be higher than the fixed rate. But then again, um you know it's really anyone to get at this point in time. I feel that we shouldn't worry too much because these rates are actually not in our control in that sense, yeah. right? So so you shouldn't worry too much. More of when you bought the house, what were the numbers you crunched to make sure that in an extreme environment, yeah. like what we're seeing now, you mm. can still afford the mortgage. And that's actually going back to planning, right? So if we go back to the 3 rule, I actually was very conservative and we really, really plan ahead to pay more so that you know I can keep the... Monthly payments low, so I could have just borrowed maximum from the bank, right? Seventy-five percent. I was staying in a resale HDB. I could have borrowed seventy-five percent, but we ended up borrowing something like sixty-plus percent. Mm. And part of the strategy was really because, course at that point, no one knows how things are going to move. That when got my loan approved was twenty twenty. Inflation wasn't a thing, and Mm. we were still thinking that oh, after the vaccines roll out, you know, things should be going back to normal. That was twenty twenty end of the year, Mm -hmm. but look at where we are now. So, uh. Yeah, you've got to build in this buffer to to protect against shocks, right? So one thing I would recommend is for 1st time homeowners who haven't done a single thing yet, yeah. Okay, there is actually a very useful uh, mortgage calculator that you can go to, I think, uh, MoneySense, which is a government-run website, mm-hmm. to actually calculate your monthly mortgage based on the loan amount, the loan tenure, and the annual interest rate. And what I would recommend people to do is drag the slider on the annual interest rate to the very end, which is 5%. And I know it sounds extreme, but look at that number and ask yourself, if the rate was dead, if my mortgage was dead, can I still cope?
0: Oh my goodness. Nightmare <laughs> scenario. But thanks. Yeah, nightmare scenario. I'm already feeling stressed, but we're going to be talking about stress testing. Your mortgageability that's coming up. We're helping you strategize your mortgage repayments. How do I think through this whole matrix of decisions that I have to make? So we've talked a little bit about fixed rates, floating rates, what home buyers need to think about when they're thinking of putting aside money for their first homes so or thinking about how much they should borrow. You talked about 335, which is a very good sort of you know, okay. way to think through how much you should spend, Elijah 335. Is, is there anything else we should be thinking through in terms of how much to spend on our final mortgage as part of our planning?
1: Okay, so I would say, again, going back to 3G5, the base number is, of course, that 30% of your income should be going to the mortgage. But if you can keep it lower, I would recommend you do. I, I really feel that one should put in buffer into a lot of things that they do because life is unpredictable, right? So Mm. if the unexpected happens, you want that buffer. So one of the things that I always do is, okay, or rather the banks will do this first and foremost is that when you are uh, applying for a loan with them, they look at your eligibility, they look at your income, they actually test you with a 3.5% interest rate in terms of your, you know, if the rates were 3.5%, can your income still meet the MSR requirement from MAS, right? Mm. So... I mentioned earlier that I actually dragged the slider on that uh, mortgage calculator to five percent and I looked at the number, and I was like, yeah, I can, I, I can do this. You know, not that I want to pay, uh, five percent of interest, but if we comes to that, I, I am actually looking at the number now. It was five percent. My loan, my monthly mortgage would have been two thousand six, and uh, between me and my wife, and I was like, yeah, I can do this. You know, right now, it's like one plus percent and I'm paying like, we're combined paying like 2000 So you can see that the interest rate really does have a big impact on your monthly payment, but $600 more, something that we weren't going to sweat because we planned that in our finances. So a lot comes up front. If you plan properly, you can take, take care of the nightmare scenario. So, I, I really do urge that, you know, we, we should not be too optimistic and, like, take things to the very edge, borrowing the maximum, trying to, you know, pay the uh, very high percentage of your income in, in terms of the mortgage. Always do that buffer because you never know what can happen, right? So, cash flow, that's one thing. You got to make sure you're still cash flow positive, right? After paying all your mortgages, you need to have that buffer. And on top of that, reserves, I think a lot of people forget that, let's say, you're paying your mortgage from your CPF and, you know, if... You happen to lose your job, okay? Your CPF is going to get depleted. So do you have enough resources in your CPF to tackle the interest, the the mortgage payments for say at least two years or more while you look for another job? All these things must be uh, factored in before you even think about what kind of property, the purchase price, all that that mm-hmm. you. Uh, want to buy The last thing you need is uh you declare your oa because you've you you lost your job and then you are in a stressful situation you die in a cash reserves. you're stressed and looking for a new job during interviews you perform poorly and then you have to do a fire sale on your house mm-hmm. i think that's absolutely the last thing anyone wants right
0: So when stress testing your mortgage repayment ability, thanks for sending us to that calculator, moneysense.gov.sg, where you can move the slider and see what you'll be paying at 5%. And also thinking through like how much money you have in your OA, you say, right? To think about how long you can stretch your payments Mm -hmm. if you absolutely, um, you know, are unemployed. Uh, Let's talk about other nightmare scenarios. How do you prevent the passing on of the burden of your mortgage to your spouse should something unfortunate happen. Is there anything you can do?
1: Yes, actually. Uh, this is about risk management, really. So, for example, uh, there is um home protection, uh, home protection scheme, which is something that if you're buying a history property, they'll ask you to get that. So that's basically a term insurance,
0: hmm. right?
1: So in the event, okay, no one wants to think about this, right? It's a nightmare scenario, as you said, but in the event that, let's say, you pass on, unfortunately, in an accident or something like that. Hmm. The loan is still outstanding, yep. so you got to put in place strategies for what we call debt cancellation. In this case, uh, a term plan, which is a home protection scheme, that will actually negate your uh, loan completely, so you don't owe any more money to the bank. So that is one thing. But of course, uh, there are other factors to consider. If you're no longer around, you know, yes, your mortgage may be cancelled via the HPS, but. The you know there still must be money left behind wait, wait, for Wait, what, what is this? Your
0: mortgage might be cancelled because of HPS?
1: Uh yes, the home production scheme, which is a term plan. That right, actually, right. yeah, you are you are uh, taking a HDB property with a loan. You you would be asked to take on the HPS unless you can prove that you have some other term plan already in place that will cover the outstanding loan amount. Okay. Yeah. So if you. Uh, uh have hps then pretty much your loan is taken care of but we also need to understand that it's not just about the house your family property still needs money if let's say you are no longer around to continue right because the family has lost the income of one person and the other nightmare scenario really there are just two nightmare scenarios to me one is unexpected death and another is unexpected illness. if you are very sick due to some kind of critical illness you will not be able to work for a while and uh the house still needs to run so you're going to need to have critical illness payout, you know, that you can use to continue to meet your obligations, the household, your mortgages. So really it's about the risk management and this one of the things that uh, home buyers, homeowners should think about, you know, if something happens to me, either I'm very sick or I'm suddenly no longer around, how much money is needed so that the house can continue to run and my surviving family members don't have to do something drastic like do a fire sale and move to something smaller. Yeah. So I think it's very important.
0: Got it. Now, what are your thoughts on, you know, people often fantasize, if I had a big chunk of money, I'd just pay off my mortgage. I'd just use all that cash and i pay off my mortgage. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, paying down a mortgage using passive income? Isn't that the dream?
1: That is the dream, isn't it? <laughs> uh, okay, so talking about if, let's say, you have a chunk of cash and you want to pay off the mortgage. Okay, the thing is, we have to think that, you know, if, we can use this uh, chunk of spare cash to generate returns that are higher than your mortgage, then there's probably an opportunity here, right? So if you could generate higher than whatever the rates are now, which is 2 plus percent as you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, you're probably looking at what we call arbitrage on this. But then again, how confident is your ability to generate returns that are higher than the current mortgage rate if you are not confident or you don't want to take that risk, then yes, it might be possible to, you know, instead pay, uh, use that chunk of money and pay off the mortgage. Uh, let's say you could generate passive income from your spare cash, and you're generating at, oh, say, 4%, then you probably have advantage over there. So ultimately, when it comes to using passive income to pay mortgages, really it's about building up things over time. If you picture, if you will, right, uh, multiple streams, small streams that flow into a giant river of, Of water. We actually like to call that river of income. So, you know, your river of income is largely fed by your job. You know, when you're working, a large part of the household expenses are met by your job, your income from your job. But if you slowly accumulate passive income streams, then you have that backup so that even if something happens to your job, you know, your main, your river doesn't run dry because the streams are feeding into it, if you can visualize that. And you have that stream feeding to it, you know, you have a little bit more confidence that you'd still be able to somewhat manage the expenses of the house. So personally, I do have passive income streams. I am a financial advisor, so I build my own portfolio of passive income streams. And that passive income streams are actually giving me a few hundreds a month, which, although it's not my entire mortgage amount, it does. Let me know that if something does happen to me, I still have passing streams to take care of a portion of my mortgage, yeah,
0: that is great to know that you walk the talk. Elijah, you are the brain that we want helping us make our money decisions. Thank you for being with us. Welcome. Elijah Lee is Financial Services Manager, Phillips Securities. We've been helping you figure out how you should plan for your mortgage loans in this inflationary environment right here on Money & Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for your company. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg.